Such a good greeting. Yeah. I love it. I think I told you this, but I, I teach uh, on Wednesday nights at Eastridge, and every time I say good evening and nobody says anything, it's like so, I'm just like, are you awake or is it, uh, is it me? Um, anyway, and I'm, I was laughing to myself because in that last song, I have my glasses up like this so I can read the, the words, and I looked up and you, you I could have swore, I just could have swore you said second verse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, th- I thought it was just me because I'm, I'm blah. But I appreciate those songs, uh, and also, you know, thinking about how amazing, uh, how amazing would it have been to be there for the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, that would have been. I, it's amazing reading it, but it would have been amazing uh, to be there. But I, you know, objectively, the greatest sermon ever preached. So, uh, anyway. I have a sermon called, uh, If I Don't Preach on Hell, and that's that's a sermon about, it's not this sermon, but it's a sermon about hell, of course, and if, and it looks, at, it's an important topic, and it's one that we shouldn't shy away from, it's something that we need to, to think about and talk about, and, and people need to be concerned uh, about not going there, certainly Jesus talked about it, Paul, uh, and, and the other apostles talked about it, and other writers of the New Testament. But sometimes, I think it's really good to, to stop and look at the other side of that coin and, and focus on heaven. And that's what I want to do today, is I want to preach a sermon on heaven. I want to look at some of the things concerning heaven. I know that for me, studying this this week has been an encouragement. Every time I, I, I work on it throughout the week, and I had somewhat of a discouraging week in several ways, and... It was encouraging every time I sat down to study for this lesson, uh, thinking about heaven and our, our reward and our goal and how we want to take people there. And so today I just want us to, to stop and think and meditate and, and study about heaven, about our reward. And the Bible tells us a good bit about heaven. People have pictured it in all sorts of ways. You see the cartoons with the guy sitting, kind of taking a nap on a cloud and playing a harp and eating chocolate and there's pretty music in the background. Uh, I, don't, I don't picture heaven quite like that. I don't think the Bible pictures heaven quite like that. I think that's a, a somewhat false idea that's been planted in people's heads. And uh, I think all these different cultures have some kinds of concepts of this. The American, uh, Native American has the uh, happy hunting grounds, the the Hindu has the blessed nothingness. Uh, and with all these pagan religions, they stem from the roots of, of God. Uh, and they may not recognize the Father as, as our Father, as God, but all of those things stem from, from God originally. And Solomon wrote, And the dust returneth to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returneth to God who gave it. We know who made us. Uh, and there's an inborn desire to to worship him and be thankful uh, to him. But is it the case that we know more about hell than we do about heaven? Do we preach more about hell than we do heaven? Uh, I think sometimes that's the case. Sometimes we shy away from preaching about hell uh, and the horrors of it. But we equally sometimes fail to, to talk about heaven. And it's it's a wonderful thing. And 
When the word heaven occurs in the Bible, unless it's being used figuratively, it's usually used in one of three realms to refer to one of three different realms. There's the atmospheric realm, uh, there's the, the stellar or celestial realm, and then there's the dwelling place of God, the third heaven. And we see that in the atmospheric heavens. The atmospheric heavens include the space that's immediately around us, the air that we breathe, uh, the so-called uh, toposphere, troposphere, and the stratosphere, uh, the atmosphere around Earth. That's that's the first heaven, uh, and we see that referred to. It's in Matthew six in the in the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about the birds of heaven. Uh, it's even mentioned in the same same context with our heavenly Father. And then there's the celestial heaven. Frequently in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's reference to the space above. The earth, that is the universe, the greater uh, heaven from our atmosphere. Uh, the Bible refers to several fixed stars and constellations, the Orionids, talks about in, in Job and in Amos. And that's one of the proofs that the Bible is from God, because over hundreds and thousands of years, the Orionids actually don't change their position because of the way they're positioned to earth and their movement. Uh, so those stay the same, just as the Bible says whereas other constellations and stars do change their position uh, over long periods of time. And so that's that second heaven. And then there's the, the third heaven, the special dwelling place of God. Uh, and although <clears throat> the scripture teaches that the, the heavens cannot contain God, he is certainly omnipresent. He is, is all places at the same time. There is still a special dwelling place of God that is, is heaven. And heaven is God's holy habitation. It is where he, he lives in that sense. And we are to pray to our Father, which is in heaven. And uh, we read of the host of heaven that worships him. And for the angels, which are in heaven. And believers, baptized believers, may look forward to an inheritance reserved for them in heaven. That's First Peter 1 and verse 4. So what will that heaven be like? The, the one we look forward to, that home that we have in heaven. I want to look at some of the encouraging ways to think about our eventual home in heaven. And first, heaven is a place of everlasting life. The, the elect of God, that is those who are in the church, who are sealed by the Spirit in Christ, have this consistent hope of heaven, of being with God there. And God, who cannot lie, promised us that reward long ago. It's promised to us in First Peter. It's promised to us in Titus 1-2. And to the faithful Christian, John said, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. That's First John five eleven, and the afterlife has this dimension of the infinite. Sometimes you'll hear people say, I'm, "I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven," as if it could be spent. It, it could never be spent. It can never be used up. Our terminology, our phrases, fail to capture the eternity and wonderfulness of heaven. It's hard to put it in terms that, that we can understand. 
there was a preacher who was asked, what will hell be like? And he answered and said, well, if hell were just a hundred years long, I could, I could endure it because after one day, I'd say, well, there's only 99 years, 364 days left. If hell were a thousand years, I could endure it because after one day, I could say only 999 more years, 364 days. If it were a million years long, I could endure it, because after one day, I'd say 999,999 years to go. But it's not like that. After you've been there a couple of days, it will still be just as long as it was when you started. And that's that everlasting, eternal punishment. But just as hell is everlasting and eternal, so is heaven. And, and how do you explain the idea of timelessness to creatures who are in time, who are captured in a set time? Really, that's all that we understand. I think uh, there was a song that we just sang in Amazing Grace in verse 4. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That, that captures that idea really well. I'm glad you sang that. I was thinking about that as we were singing that. That's We've been there 10,000 years, and we have no less time to, to, to be there in heaven singing praise to God. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. In 1 Peter 1, 3-4, the Apostle Peter uses language which tells us what heaven is not. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So He uses it in those negative terms and the idea of we understand what is perishable, we understand what, what rots, we understand what becomes defiled, makes it so that we cannot use it. We understand things that, that fade. Memories even fade, and photographs fade. We understand that in our world, all things are perishable, become defiled, and fade. But in heaven, it's the exact opposite. In heaven, things are, are no longer corruptible. They are no longer able to be defiled. They are no longer fading. They will be just as bright and beautiful on the day we arrive as they will, will be 10 million years in the future. And since we're familiar with that, we can kind of grasp some of that concept, but I think eternity is really hard for us to grasp. The second point I want to discuss and think about with heaven uh, should be a great encouragement to all of us, and that is that heaven is a place of blessed meeting and blessed reunion. Uh, there was a man, William M. Dyke, and he was a young man who, at the age of 10, he became blind. And despite this handicap, he went through college, and in graduate school, he met a, a young woman uh, who, who is the daughter of an English admiral. He was in England when he, he was going to graduate school. And the two became engaged, and though he had never seen her because he was blind, he was very much in love with her. Shortly before the wedding, her father 
encouraged him to get an operation that might allow him to see, to recover his sight. And they planned the operation, and he he went through with the operation, and he had gauze over his eyes, and they planned the wedding so that he would have the gauze removed at the wedding so that if it was successful, the first person he would see would be his bride. I think that's a beautiful idea. And so she comes down the aisle, and they're standing there, and his father is removing the gauze from his eyes, and the operation worked. And he, he declared, you are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. You're more beautiful than I even imagined. Well, like that young groom, though we have never seen Jesus, we have never seen God, we have never seen the Spirit, we long to do that. And how amazing will that be to be in heaven and be in the presence of God. To see Him as He is, First John 3, 1 and 2. To look upon Jesus, the face of the, the one who came and died for us, still bearing the wounds in his, his new body, and knowing that he left the place that we now are and came down and no sin in him, no cause, and yet was reviled, beaten, spit upon, crown of thorns thrust on his head, whipped, crucified for us. How wonderful will it be to see Jesus? How wonderful will it be to look upon the face of God? How wonderful will it be to be there with the Spirit, the one who came and delivered to us the Word of God, the will of God, and brought us into the knowledge of all truth? I want to go to heaven because I want to see God, I want to see Jesus, I want to see the Spirit. That will be a wonderful reward, to be where God is. I also want to see the faithful friends and family that have gone on before me. The longer I live, the more people in my life have have passed on to their reward in heaven. Many people have asked, will we recognize people in heaven? Will we know each other uh, in heaven? And I think the Bible doctrine of heaven as a place of reunion settles that concept. The expression, he was gathered to his people, is found quite often in the Old Testament. We see it in Genesis 26, 8. Uh, Abraham is said to have been gathered to his ancestors. And then in the next verse, it said that he was buried. So it's not talking about the fact that he's being buried with his ancestors. It's talking about he's gathered to his people. We get the same phrase when it's talking about uh, Moses, who dies by himself, and his body is is buried uh, essentially by God and hidden in the mountains. He's not with his relatives. He's not buried with his relatives. But we get that same phrase, he's gathered to his people in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32, 50. We will go when we die and be gathered with our people, with our friends and family who have gone on before. David's reaction to the child that, 
passes away of, of, from his sin with Bathsheba uh, is very instructive. In 2 Samuel 12, 22 and following, you'll remember that he had been fasting and praying, and he did that because he thought God might change his mind and, and allow the child to live. But when the child dies, he cleans himself up, and, and he, his reaction is, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. He looked forward to that reunion with his child. Or consider the events of the transfiguration, where Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up into the mountain, and he's transformed to display his celestial glory. And Moses and Elijah are there, and they symbolize the law and, and the prophets, and they appear beside him. Luke called them men, not disembodied spirits. And he reported that, that Peter, and presumably others, recognized them uh, in Luke 9.33. So we can see that we can recognize people after they have passed away. Christ's story about the rich man and Lazarus, the same, with Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And finally, there are words which Jesus spoke relative to Gentiles who would join with believing Jews in a great reunion in heaven. That's Matthew 8, 11. Many will come from the east and west, recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. We will be reunited with our friends and family who have died in the Lord. But also, and this last voice verse points this out, will be united with the heroes of the Bible. All the people whose lives and biographies we've we've read and thought about and meditated on and studied and have questions about, uh, I still picture talking with Paul, and everybody's got the two questions for Paul. You know, did you write Hebrews? And what was the thorn in the flesh? I just kind of picture... Paul's going to have a sign up that answers that so you're not knocking on his door all the time and asking those two questions. Uh, I have other questions for Paul uh, as well. And I think, won't it be wonderful to, to talk to Paul and Barnabas and Peter and Joseph and Daniel and David and Abraham and all of the heroes of the Bible? Won't it be amazing to talk to all of them and, and even some others that you might not think about that are just briefly mentioned, men like Enoch, who walked with God. Wouldn't that be amazing? Or Jubal, who's the first of, of the musicians. It would be amazing to talk to these characters, or Adam, and ask him, what was it like in the Garden of Eden? Uh, wonderful time to spend, if you can spend time, in heaven, talking to all of them. The heroes of the Bible will be there, and I want to talk to them. Well, third, I think, number next, is, as we preachers say when we lose count, like I just have, number next is heaven is a place of total security. Insecurity comes from all sorts of fear of potential loss. We're insecure because we, we feel 
fear the loss of life, of family, of jobs, of health, uh, of emotional well-being, of our friends, of, of our status. There's all sorts of things in this life that we are afraid of losing, and that makes us insecure. We're also insecure because this is an insecure place. It's a dangerous place. Just just drive on the interstate if you don't believe me. But uh, C.S. Lewis actually said, Aim at heaven and you will have earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. This life is not the place of total security. Heaven, on the other hand, is a place of total security. There will be no locked doors. There's no violence. There's no shame. There's no doubt. There's no fear. Jesus will wipe away every tear from us. And we will be completely safe and secure. Won't that be wonderful? Won't that be amazing to be without any type of insecurity in our life? I remember my grandmother... Uh, she got robbed when she was elderly and living by herself. She didn't drive, so there was no car park. She was at home uh, when they robbed the house. And every night she would put a chair up against the door just in case that would happen. Uh, and that happened that night. And somebody she woke up to somebody trying to get in her room, and they realized that that chair was on the door and that there was somebody home, and they left. But they stole some of her jewelry and some other things from the house. The rest of her life, she lived in terror of somebody breaking into her house again. She put bars on all the windows and reinforced the doors. And she lived, I remember when we would go there to her house, it took her a couple minutes to take all the locks off of the door. She lived in fear and insecurity. And I felt so bad for her for that reason. But now she's passed away. She was a faithful Christian and she... She doesn't have that fear any longer. There are no bars on the doors and windows there in heaven. It's a place of total security. Heaven is also a place of indescribable beauty. We get this in Revelation. We get this in Romans 8 described. So God accommodates himself to man's understanding. He puts it in in terms of a material basis that we can kind of understand but it's so far beyond that. It's beyond our understanding and comprehension. We can't really know what will heaven look like and be like, but we can allow our imagination to take flight. We can use the terminology and the indications of the golden streets, the pearly gates, the, the, the beautiful jeweled trappings all around it and all the the beauty, everything beautiful that we can imagine being exaggerated beyond that, and we can be safe and secure to know that our imagination can't even comprehend it, that we're not going to be disappointed when we get to heaven. It's going to be better than whatever we've imagined. It's described as a country or a homeland. Uh, The Bible says that the great patriarchs of the Old Testament We're looking for a country. Abraham did not go back to Ur uh, in the Chaldees because he looked for a country of a new nature, an abiding one. And heaven is described as a city, as the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21. And heaven is described 
to people who were accustomed to great cities or walled cities as this protected city with this great wall, with the great high walls, the gates of pearl, with everything beautiful that might characterize the grandest city ever comprehended. And heaven's described as home. No matter how much you travel, no matter how much you look forward to, I'm, I'm looking forward to a trip with Katie and, and 48 of my close friends. We're, we're going on a trip to Rome and Greece. I'm very much looking forward to it. But by the end of that trip, you know where I will want to be? No matter how many great things I see, no matter how much fun it is, I want to be home. <laughs> and, and I will get homesick being away. Uh, I will want to see my wife and my dog. Those are my two, <laughs> two things. Uh, and probably Griffin, too. I probably want to see you, too. Oh, he's looking at me. Don't give me the side eye. All right. <clears throat> but home in heaven will be eternal home. It's a place where we all want to go, where we can all rest and be safe. And these figures, this idea of a, a country, a place, a city, a place, a home that we're, we're longing for, that's our inheritance that God is going to give us early in my career when I was a librarian at a university in Chicago. Uh, the director of the library was Egyptian, and she signed us up for this Egyptian uh, exchange program where we would send librarians over to Egypt and they would send librarians over to us. I didn't get to go to Egypt, but they did put me in charge of uh, carting the two librarians that came over. Uh, taking those two guys around uh, and showing them what America was like. They sent us to a conference uh, and, and put us up in the hotel. And, of course, we had time that night. And I said, well, what, what do you guys want to do? What do you want to see of America? <laughs> and they said two things. We want to go to a movie because in Egypt all the movies are censored. And we really want to see Sixth Sense because it has ghosts in it and anything with ghosts in it isn't allowed in Egypt. It's censored. I had no idea that, that was the case. So I took them and I saw Sixth Sense. I said, okay, what else do you want to do? And I had no idea what they would say. You know what they said? We, we want to go to Walmart. <laughs> I said, whew, that's tough. Okay. I took them to Walmart. And you know what? We walked into Walmart and they were amazed. They were like, this is crazy. This place has everything in one place. And I say, oh, you should see Sam's Club. As I took him to Sam's Club, you should see Kmart. And you should see, there was still Kmart at the time, Target. I took him to all these department stores, and they're just amazed. There's so much abundance, and everything is together. And they said, this is amazing. This place has everything. I was thinking about that yesterday as I was putting this sermon together. Uh, and that's true. Heaven will be amazing, somewhat like that, but heaven won't have everything. There'll be a blessed absence of several things, and we'll be happy that it's that way. You know, one of the things that the Bible says heaven won't have is in Revelation 21.1 is a sea. That's an interesting thing to say that, that there won't be a sea. Well, often what stands between nations and peoples, particularly hostile nations and people, are these barriers like a sea. And those kinds of things will have vanished in heaven. 
This, this implies that storms and turbulence and all the things that separate us in our lives will be removed. Those barriers will be removed. All those separations between people. And I think that's what Paul's trying to communicate when he says there's no more Jew or Gentile, there's no more male or female, there's no more uh, slave or free, is we're all one in Christ Jesus. Well, that will be perfected in heaven. There won't be those barriers. They will be torn down, and we will all be one in Christ. Heaven also won't have death. Revelation 21, 4. That's the next to last time that the word is used in the Bible. And it says that it will come to an end in heaven. The hearse will have made its last trip. You won't see lines of cars following the hearse to the graveyard. There will be no funeral services, no tombstones, no funeral planned salesmen, no tearful goodbyes, no death. And won't that be wonderful? Heaven will have no sorrow. Also 21.4, Revelation 21.4. This world has plenty of sorrow, plenty of tears. Just last week, there's all these terrible things that happened in the world. It's in the news all the time. There was a police officer who, who drove off a pier. Don't really know what happened, but he, he died. There's the shooting in Kansas City. There's earthquakes, typhoons, fires. All kinds of things happen all the time in the world that create sorrow and pain. All of that will be gone. In heaven, there will be no more reason to cry. Which brings us to the next thing, there will be no more tears in heaven. We sing songs about that. Imagine the buckets of tears that must be cried each week by the billions of people that are on earth. And all of that will be gone. God will wipe away our tears in heaven. And it's not because God removes our tear ducts, it's because there will be nothing for us left to cry about. Now this prospect has troubled some, because they wonder, what about the fact that some of my loved ones were not faithful when they died, or not faithful when the Lord comes back? And that question has vexed people's mind and bothers people and and makes them struggle with it. It's a question I've struggled with myself. And you think, okay, if I have a child who's not faithful and they die and they're they're not going to go to heaven, how can I be happy in heaven if my child is, is in hell? It's a difficult question. Some have posed the idea that God will make you forget about it. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the nature of God to remove information from us to make us happy. I don't think that's how God works. It seems to me that God's style, if you will, to solve those types of problems is to expand our mind and relieve our ignorance. In other words, we're going to understand what God understands in a, a more complete way. And we will be comforted, not by knowing less, but by knowing more. 
God can wipe away our tears by explaining to us His ultimate purposes from His viewpoint. And certainly if God can be content knowing that unbelievers are in hell, so can we if we understand what God understands. It's difficult to comprehend, but I don't think it's impossible. There will be no more pain, no abominations, no hunger, no thirst. There's no more being sick. There's no more temptations. Well, I'm going to conclude because my time's up, and I could talk about heaven for a lot longer, and heaven's a wonderful thing to think about and contemplate. I think there's several things we should contemplate about heaven, and I'm just going to list them quickly for time's sake. But it helps us keep a perspective on life. Paul speaks of that perspective. Understanding heaven gives us, in Romans 8.18, he says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He knew that they were about to be persecuted and even killed. And he said that doesn't compare with the glory of our reward in heaven. Second, it helps us to remember to invest our time, our energy, our money in things that matter, things that aren't going to burn. We look around this world, everything that we collect, all of my books, all of my coins, all the stuff that I like to collect and hoard in my little office, it's all going to burn up. It's all going to be gone. Should I really invest all my time and effort just because I have the hobby of collecting ancient coins or books or whatever it is for you? Those are the two things for me uh, that, that I struggle with not being addicted to uh, is buying more and more books. But those will all burn. Knowing about heaven will take the dread out of death. And finally, fourth, if we have friends, loved ones who have died in the Lord, and we wonder what they're doing, we wonder what they're thinking, we wonder what it will be like to meet them again someday. Paul said that we have no reason to grieve with those, as those do who are without hope, because those who have fallen asleep in Jesus will have their reward. When we think about heaven, what's important is for us to go there, to live our life in such a way that we will go to heaven and God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear from Jesus on Judgment Day. And if we want to be reunited with our loved ones, if we want to gain all those things that are in heaven, it's so important that we do that, that we live our life for Christ. Remembering that really we cannot earn our way to heaven. There's nothing, there's no checkbox that we can check off. There's not enough good that we can do that once we have sinned, we are separated from God and nothing can bridge that gap except for Christ. That's why Christ said, no one comes to the Father except through me because he is the only one who lived that perfect life and then he laid down that life to atone for our sins. He was a, an atoning, acceptable sacrifice. And he's the only one that could do that. We come in contact with him in the waters of baptism, not washing away the filth of the flesh, but an answer of a good conscience toward Christ.
Christ. Baptism now saves us because that's where we come in contact with the blood of Christ. And then we are sealed by the Spirit in Him. We can choose to leave. We can choose to, to throw away like a dog returning to its vomit what God has given us. But as long as we walk in the light as He is in the light, we will be in heaven with Him. So today, if you have not put on Christ the baptism, we would encourage you to do so. And we would love to study with you further if you have questions. And if you have walked away from the light and you want to come back, we would encourage you to come forward uh, in just a moment as we stand and sing and, and make things right. Confess those sins, repent, and we will pray with you and for you. If that's the case for you this morning, please make it right as we stand and sing.